Whoa, that's new. Whoa, that's new. <laughs> that's creepy too. Hmm. That means a man. Mm -hmm. All right. So Jim, take it away, man. Who are you? Tell us how you're right, uh, right? Just uh, so I'm uh, I'm Jim Rossiter. I am a uh, I'm a firefighter paramedic for the Pleasant Hill Fire Protection District in Missouri. Uh, I've been on the job for about eight years now. Um, through some way or form, I've kept my national registry the whole time because I don't want to take that test again. No, um, <laughs> it is not good to do a second time. No, and I'm uh, I'm certified in, uh, certified firefighter too, um, and all, all the alphabet soup that everybody that works as a medic has to keep and. Uh, Okay. I also recently sat for and passed my uh, board exam to be a certified flight paramedic. So I oh, wow. have my nice little wings on my uniform. I got that extra dollar an hour every time I pick up an AMR okay. now. All right. Um, but uh, my uh, work for a service that covers about 101 square miles um, in relatively rural Missouri. We've got a population center of Pleasant Hill. It's about eight, 9,000 folks. And then we've got another okay. 10 to 12 that live in our county. We take about 1,600 calls a year. Uh, most of them are EMS. At least 1,200 of those calls are EMS. And then the other 400 are a mix. It could be anything. It's odor of gas in the residence, lines down across the road. Somebody drove across the low water bridge and got stuck. Pretty much out here, it, anything that you're, that you're not sure, like obviously doesn't need a cop, but you're not sure who to call, it's in the fire department. And we'll okay. figure out a way to get it done. All right. And um, so just uh, you started where? So you, you started, you were in the military. So we started with that. Jewel missed that part. So you were in the military. Yeah. Tell me, tell us how, tell everybody how you got started on ambulance. So uh, I was getting out of, I, I was the mil, I was military police when I was in the, when I was in the military. I was actually uh, active duty National Guard for the Missouri National Guard. And, uh, you know, when I, when I, got stupid and got hurt and got out. I was kind of lost, you know, wandered around. I, I took a semester of school to try to get ready for nursing school because most of my family's in healthcare, you know, dad's a doc, mom's a nurse, stepmom's a retired flight nurse. It's, it's all there. But okay. um, I had a cousin at the time who was an EMT for the University of Missouri Columbia. And he's like, Hey, you're kind of an adrenaline junkie. You might mm -hmm. like this. All right, I'll take a peek. So I, uh, I signed up for a summer EMT class at my community college at uh, Ozarks Tech in Springfield and really liked my instructor, had a good time learning about it. I was like, this is all really cool. I don't, don't know if this is for me yet, but it's cool. And then uh, I had my first ride on the bus as a student uh, in the, on the 4th of July in 2013. Took a night shift thinking, hey, this is going to be cool. There's two things that happen in rural Missouri on the 4th of July. People are getting drunk and people are blowing shit up. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking I was going to be seeing people missing their fingers or getting in car wrecks, something cool. Nope. I ran two calls. Oh, wow. It was a, uh, a breathing call and a car wreck were my first two patient contacts as well at, on the bus. I'd already had my four yeah. times in the ER. And I remember um, the medic's name was Daryl. I can't remember the EMT, which I really feel bad about because I wound up working with her for a little while once I got my, once I got my P card. And, um, the I was really impressed with the breathing call because it was a gal that has asthma and um, you know she uh, she hadn't gotten her inhaler refilled yet so she used her last little puff and that wasn't enough so called nine one for a breathing problem and we showed up and uh, Daryl just cool cucumber one cool customer knew exactly what was going on exactly what to do just gave her an albuterol treatment right there 
and she was good to go. And that just blew my mind. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I mean, at that point I didn't know that I wanted to be a paramedic, but I was like, this is yeah. really cool. You know, I, I want to help people. I want to be in healthcare. This is it for me. Um, That's cool. And then, uh, they, uh, um, they, they had, um, mobile data terminals and computer aid dispatch, the CAD system. And, uh, the, the little recording thing that we were both just marveling at a minute ago sounded just like that. So it, <laughs> it, when we were, when we were hanging out in the truck, cause we, we posted up doing the system status thing. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't the tones that woke us up. It wasn't the radio traffic. It was that little computer voice sitting there going yeah. assigned. <laughs> oh, yours talk, oh, yours talk to you? Oh, man, yeah. ours just rings. Yeah, ours is like, well, it's nice now because like, it used to be like this loud ring, right, Joel? And now it's, it's like, like, it's like a nice ring. <laughs> yeah. Well, now it's like a telephone. It's just like, ring, ring, yeah. so it's, yeah. So it's Before very it would, like jolt you awake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did you get in trouble for missing calls? Did you ever miss a call? I have nev- like, I've never missed a call. Um, I, uh, I almost did one time, um, when I was working, uh, I think it was when I was working for Warsaw. Um, I didn't realize that the other crew wasn't back yet. They were another real rural service. They covered like 200 square miles with three ambulances. That was a hoot and a half. Um, but, uh, I think, uh, I think I, the tones went off and I, I was supposed to be off the bubble, but I guess the other crew hadn't made it back to district yet. So I, I rolled over and went back to sleep and there was oh, just a bang, bang, bang on my door. It's my partner's that going, Jim, are you going to go on this call? No, oh. it's not ours. <laughs> uh, he's uh, like, Carrie's we not back do- yet. Well, uh, crap. Yeah. See, when I used to work like somewhere that was like rural, if you weren't in the station and you were out, it was your call. That's how we used to do it. Oh, so wow. If you weren't in the station, physically in the station, you were still up on it, up, up for a job. So. Huh. Mm-hmm. my uh my shift worked for a while that uh any any time they'd uh any time that you made it off the pad and onto the street it counted as a call and you were off the bubble and there was actually um um i think it was b shift their rule was um you had to have two either two cancels or two refusals and then you're yeah. off but yep. if you were down and you got uh popped back out to the same address no matter where you were in the rotation, that was yours. You had to go back and fix it. What? No. <laughs> that kind of makes sense, though. Uh, I feel like... Yeah, because they didn't want to go back and like, beat them. Or you're like, yo, I got to cover up my tracks. <laughs> so, so <laughs> you want to get out there. <laughs> but we, like have, my tracks. we had one recently where it was like, um, you know, like a 20-year-old girl came in as like a chest pain, but it was like probably anxiety. Mm-hmm. Remember, we got there and then... Um, we were like, okay, we'll take you, but you know, we can't take anyone with you. And her family like flipped out on us and they oh, asked yeah. us to leave and they like literally like slammed the door on no, us. No, they told us to leave. They cursed us out. Well, yeah. And, and then like, you guys don't know ten, anything. 10 minutes later, like a call came at the same address <clears throat> and I was like, oh my God. And we got it. And then we ended up calling dispatch and we're like, we just literally got like kicked out of this apartment. Yeah, they, they, know, told, like, they told us to get the fuck out of their house. Yeah. And that's really what they did. So that I get out, right? She didn't want to hear that, you know, she has anxiety. She'd been to the hospital like three times in the last like week. And it's like, I don't know what to tell you. You know, the hospital's not your doctor. But but yeah, so, you know, you go back and fix your job. (laughs) Well, we digressed. We digressed, as I always tend to do. So, all right, so you finished your ride along. Then where'd you go? So, um, 
I was actually, my plan from there was to, um, so that was over the summer semester for the fall semester. I was going to go to, going to go to a school, be, be an advanced EMT and then, uh, um, uh, go to the fire camp, go through the OTC's fire program in the spring. Okay. So it was me, another guy in my class and, um, someone else. So they wound up only being three people for a class that needed a minimum of six. Oh man. And, uh, the, uh, the program director sent us all an email saying, hey, we're canceling this class, but if you go through the first semester of paramedic, we'll sign off all the paperwork and we'll let you go to the state to test. And just sitting there processing in my brain, it's like, well, I'm just going to go through the first semester anyway. Can I just go ahead and go to paramedic school? And I'm like, yeah, why not? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was, uh, I was a zero to hero. Um, was that scary? What's that? Was it scary? Uh, at the time, I was too stupid to know how scared I should have been. <laughs> do you th- do you, so if you could go back, would you wait? Would you spend some more time as an EMT? Yeah. If, if, I, if I, that's the advice that I give to um, anybody that wants to start out is, you know, get, get your EMT and work in a busy system. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it, regardless of if you're working, uh, like rural and you know, that's where you want to be a medic at. That's all well and good. But I personally think that everybody needs to work like a busy, like Metro or suburb for the first one or two years before they go to medic. Yeah. Just, you see so much, you know, yeah. when, uh, when I worked for Cox in Springfield, I was, I, I had 10, I had 10 runs in a 10 hour shift and everything was different. And, you know, now it's a, it, now it's a busy shift. If I run, eight in a 48 hour period. Oh, wow. Yeah. And you know, like, I just don't see the same, the same calls, um, working rurally that I did whenever I was working in downtown Springfield, you know, certainly I didn't see the level of drugs. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, I the thing about like, you know, like the rural thing, like you're it, you know, like I worked in a place, we have like two buses for 140 square miles and there's no backup, you know, it's like, if you're a pneumatic, like, you know, you got to finagle and pull something out of your ass. So there's no, it's scary. So, I mean, I was still like a noob. I think I have like two, two or three years and I was out there by myself. So my EMT was like, I don't know what to do. Like, yeah. That that's that's even worse. You know, just, to me. <clears throat> I worked uh, the first probably four, three, four years of my career. Uh, I worked in a bit in relatively busy, um, like Metro and suburb ish cities you know springfield was 160,000 at the time and then um mm-hmm. actually went up to uh north dakota uh as a contractor for a little bit and i wound up working downtown in minot which is about 40,000 i wound up staying on there full time when my contract was up i did that for 2 years okay. ran 10,000 calls a year out of one station with two with uh with two ALS cars and two BLS cars and oh, wow. then uh then came home uh, to Warsaw and work Warsaw for another two years. And Warsaw, my tra- my transport times were, depending on where I was in the district, they could be forty five minutes to two hours. And I was North was, Dakota. How long was that ride? Because like we've heard, like some of those like six hours. Like we're talking, where is it? Uh, Williston. Mm-hmm. He's in Williston, and he said it's like six hours. It's like twelve hours round trip to Fargo. I think he said, and back for like a critical care and shit. Yeah, so uh, Williston's got a little critical access hospital. I think they've got a couple of TCD designations. I actually know a guy, 
I don't know if he's still on the department out there, but I used to be really good friends with him. He was one of the flight medics at, uh, at Trinity. He flew for North star. Um, okay. Uh, Minot was the, was the Northwest regional area. So it had, um, it had Trinity health, which was level two stroke, level two trauma, level, Okay. Level two trauma, level two pain. Um, <laughs> you might have a stroke. Yeah, got a little ahead of myself. I've got two S's and a T, and I mixed them up. That's <laughs> all right. But uh, so we were, we pretty much just took everybody downtown to, to Trinity, you know, and the the, ba- the base had decommissioned its hospital a long time ago. So anything that was coming off a of base went to, um, went to Minot and we pretty much only had to transfer somebody out if it was like a specialty thing, like, um, like, like they needed a specialty GI or, um, or something like, uh, we, we had a, we had a helicopter and we also had a fixed wing. So they, they usually took most of those, um, you know, if, but if it was like a event patient and the hot and the, the flight team wasn't available, they would go by ground. We took a lot of people okay. about two and a half hours, one way to Bismarck. And then it was about, four and a half to five depending on which way you went going to Fargo and oh those trips always came out with two hours left in the shift wow why do they do that to everybody <clears throat> you know it's like why 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 do you do this to people who, who want to go home you know like because you're, you're I don't so think there's angry like, there's no like the hospitals discharge patients at a different time and then you know the ambulance no, I think it's the company then you go there and like you're still waiting sometimes for 45 minutes for paperwork or whatever, um, right. you know. And and there are times mm-hmm. like sometimes when I did transport stuff where I get there and be like event that I'm not familiar with or something. I'm like, oh my god, what is this? And then I'm like, hey, like can you call the respiratory therapist? I just want to yeah. get like a little rundown of this. <laughs> and like, cause I'm like, I don't want to be back in the ambulance with this thing. I'm afraid, <laughs> you know. So. Well, when uh, when I was up there, we had the old AutoVent 3000. I don't know if you guys are familiar with those. It's a little brick about yay big. <laughs> and it runs they on... have the dials on it? It have like the dials? Yep, three knobs. Right? Oh, my God. Yeah, I've seen it. I've never used it. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. The first knob was adult or pediatric. The second knob was tidal volume. And then the third one was uh, uh, respiratory rate. Okay. So. I mean, super easy to use, but I, I called it the lung popper 3000 because yeah. there, it was just so easy to give these people barrow trauma. And there was, mm. we spent more money on buying the adapters to use those vent circuits with everything else that we could have easily bought newer and better vents. But, yeah. you know, take, taking those transports um, was actually kind of the inspiration for me to go back to school. And I, I went went back and went through critical care school back then um, did a semester at, uh, at Creighton university in Nebraska and learned a ton. Um, mm. And that actually was part of what made me more comfortable once I came home and went back to, well, I shouldn't say went back to, but started working rurally was it mm. gave me that sort of expanded knowledge base and really made me more confident in the science behind what I was doing. Um, okay. And it really wasn't until I started working rurally that I became really more comfortable in my role as a paramedic, you know, cause it's, you know, Pete, you were talking about working rural, Julie, I don't know how rural you've been before, but being out there in the sticks when it's taking you, you know, you're, you're 10 minutes into your transport and you've burned through that protocol page. What next? Yeah. We've got another yeah. 35, 45 minutes to get to this patient. And now that's when you, 
have to think about what the state of the science is, you know, what we've got going on with the trucks, what's your relationship with medical control. And that's when, I think that's when I really started coming into my own, both as, both in my confidence and in my, my knowledge and skill level. I think that's when I started feeling comfortable calling myself a paramedic. Yeah. You know, like, I, I mean, yeah, I, like, I especially to... you're by yourself, you know, right. so like you have to get that IV. You got to get that tube, yep. you know? know, and I don't, I don't miss that at all. Honestly, no, I don't miss, I, I don't I miss being like by myself. That is actually one no. of the things that <clears throat> I, I feel like I prefer having like a partner who's a paramedic um, just because I don't know, like, I don't, I don't love that feeling that like that scared anxiety where it's like, oh man, this person's like really doing badly. And my partner is an EMT and they don't really know, like, you know, sometimes they know how to work my equipment. Sometimes they don't, but that's kind of it. Like that's where it ends. They can't get the IV if I don't get it. You know what I mean? Like they're not going to be able to do the stuff that I can do. And it's, it's like, if you think like, oh man, this person's like really sick. Like I have to get this, you know? Um, and it's like, I don't know that, that part I didn't like. And I think maybe having like more critical care um, information would have been cool. Like because there were people who worked at the company I worked at that did have that, um, but they went on even scarier jobs, I thought, you know, and I was like, I don't want to do those jobs. So like, that sounds like a nightmare, you know, but right. maybe with the access to information, it would have been a little bit better. But yeah, I kind of like being, you know, maybe 20 minutes from a hospital. I do sort yeah. of like that fail safe kind of, you know. That's uh, that's where I'm at now. Uh, Pleasant Hill, we take a lot of people up to Lee's Summit. So, you know, we live, uh, our, our, our district is a little, a, a smidge southeast of Kansas City. Um, I was listening to you guys when you talked to Shane Jensen. He, uh, oh, yeah. he actually, uh, he, he worked at, uh, at Pleasant Hill, unfortunately, before I got there, but I've heard nothing but good things about him. It was really oh, cool. That's good. Yeah. All right, we'll have to tell him. <laughs> um, but uh, so we're... <clears throat> It's about, depending on where we are in the district, it's about 15 or 20 minutes to either get to Lee Summit Medical Center or down to um, Harrisonville, down to Cass Regional. Um, Cass is a level two uh, STEMI. I believe they're a level two stroke. They're a level three trauma. On Lee Summit's level two stroke, level two STEMI. But if we're going north and heading towards the city, uh, the closest level one that we've got is Research, Research Medical Center in Kansas City. And that's yeah, I mean, if we're coming from in town, that's a 35, 40 minute wow. drive. And, and that's a lot if you're having like if you have a trauma time. patient or, yeah. you know, someone who like really requires surgery and fast and, you right. know, like that's, mm -hmm. that's a long time to be with a patient. Yeah. But that's, that's kind of the great thing about being far away. Well, I shouldn't say real far away, but you know, I've got, I don't have to sit there and try to get a line because, you know, there are two things that are going to help these people are a surgeon and whole blood. So yeah. mm -hmm. we'll just get on the road. We'll start bouncing down the road. You know, I'll, uh, if I need to, I'll pull a guy off the pumper to help me. And yeah, then I've got 35 or 40 minutes to do my thing, you know, start my yeah. lines, you know, do whatever packing, bandaging, tourniqueting, um, anything yeah. like that. And that's where we're also fortunate. And anytime you call 911 in the district and it's, and it's not a police call, you're always going to get a pumper and you're always going to get an ambulance. Mm -hmm. So I've got, so, so rolling up, I'm never by myself. It's always, yeah. um, I've got, I've got myself, my partner's a firefighter EMT. And then depending on the shift, I'll have uh, a captain and a firefighter on the engine. Um, 
B shifts captain is a medic, so anytime that they roll, they've got two medics on the scene, which is nice. That is nice. Yeah. And uh, we actually are very fortunate. We just passed a um, a tax levy, so that we've got uh, six guys in the house all the time. So we've got two medics and four firefighter EMTs. So on, on our our real hairy. Well, I shouldn't say real hairy, but if it comes out on the dispatch is sounding kind of hairy, we'll send uh, we'll send both buses and the pumper. Mm. Anything that comes out as a non-breather or like a, a traffic accident with unknown how many injuries or just like a real bad trauma call, we'll dump the station and send everybody. Yeah. That's I mean, cool. it's better to sort of have all hands and then if you don't need them, you yeah. can just yeah. set them free. Yep. But, I mean, I think... Did you say you start IVs while you move? Oh yeah, I start IVs yeah. on the road all the time. <laughs> I know a lot That's of folks are. Thing. A lot of people don't. A lot do of that. folks, yeah, will kind of try to do it on scene. And I mean, I'll admit, like when I first became a medic, I think that's kind of what I did too. You know, like you, I think I I stayed on scene a lot longer as a new medic than I do now. And also working with Pete, he's like okay, let's get off the scene. I'm like, we've been here for three minutes. <laughs> you know, like, he's like really like- I get anxiety, bro. I'm like this internal clock. I start getting like anxious. Like, we gotta go. Yeah. And then like, we've been here forever. It's but it's minutes. gotten to the point where I feel like we've been there for a long time. And then we get in the truck and it's like 12 minutes. I'm like, wow. Right. You know, but it mm -hmm. used to be that, I mean, sometimes I'd be on scene for like 20 minutes, like given all the drugs and everything there. And now in hindsight, I'm like, okay, I wasn't really doing anything harmful. Like if they were having a bad asthma attack, I was still treating them, you know, right. but it was a difference. It was like I was treating them in their home and then we still have to get to the hospital, whereas I could have been treating them on route and then just right. to the hospital and they're better, you know, like, right. there you go. And, you know, a lot, a lot of things are, you know, it, it varies. Like if it's a patient that I want to, that I want to 12 lead on, you know, we get them in the bus and my, yeah. my partner or captain or whoever that's just got some free hands will jump in and they'll get the the vitals and everything hooked up and while they're setting yeah. up the 12 lead just start my iv real quick yeah. Um, yeah but i mean if it's somebody i'm not going to get a 12 lead on pretty much as long as i've got a blood pressure before i roll i'm all right yeah, so yeah. I, I can yeah. i can put the limb leads on do pulse ox put them on o2 give them a breathing treatment get my line started and you know it's only been a couple of minutes down the road i, I might argue that i'm better at starting ivs on the road than i am standing still <laughs> yeah I still remember this medic when I was I was still a volunteer in like Perth Amway and they would start IVs on like the biggest bump and I was like that is super cool and then like I'd see like other medics like sitting like can you stop the truck so I can get this IV I'm like what <laughs> yep. the fuck are you doing bro <laughs> so um, I, had, I had one uh, several months ago had a had a lady that unfortunately had a catastrophic stroke and she didn't survive but mm -hmm. um I took a took a guy in with me on the pumper because we were just she had a DNR so I was really trying to just keep her breathing long enough that yeah. I didn't have to pull over and wait for the coroner. But um, we uh, we were in the back. I'd gotten my first line started and it was a I anytime I'm taking somebody in with a time critical I like to have two lines. Um, you know I pretty much if they've got the vasculature for it and I know I'm not going to be sitting there mm -hmm. fishing for it I'll put an 18 in everybody. Um, yeah. And. I, uh, I got, got the first 18 and then bumping down the road and none of us knew that this bump was coming. Um, because it was, it was the middle of the night. It was a gravel road. Dust was kicked up from the pumper. Yeah. And we just, I literally was threading the catheter off, held it down, had the catheter in my hand, was reaching for my flush and just thunk bump comes straight up out of the chair and then right back down. Oh my God. Um, I, I can't believe that the, 
catheter didn't shoot out of the vein, that would have been not mm-hmm. fun. Are you a are you a flush on the lock guy or a flush off the lock? Um, I I on the lock. Um, you leave we, it on uh, when you do it. Yeah, I'll. So uh, like, what we do is we like put it on it, we'll flush it, and then we detach it so there's like less weight. So if you hit a bump oh. and you have to let go, then you don't lose the whole thing. I never I did gotcha. that before him either. I yeah. didn't really ever think about it and uh yeah we started a bunch of controversy with that one so (laughs) people People are like what are you doing but i'm like born into it we don't have good streets so no dude i I know what you mean man rural cass county and pleasant hill roads are rough Mm -hmm. and that's i mean that's a big deal you know like i'm not that great at that we had we had a shot or there was some trauma but the guy was like covered in blood and we couldn't wait for um, BLS and like Pete's driving and I had in the line and then we hit a bump and I pulled it out and I was like damn it and like so I was like all right whatever I just I was like all right I'm like yelling at him like slow down man and like then I'm like I'm not even going fast and then I get another line and the same thing happens I'm like in about to thread the catheter and like we hit the bump and I like pulled it out and I was like ah and like when we got there I didn't he's like what you didn't get a line I was like no I didn't get a line and like he was like okay and I was like so embarrassed and I like <laughs> hated life and I, <laughs> you're laughing but I was like so mad at myself and I'm like but she was mad at me because I hit all these bumps I was but I'm, like, he was so at me because like I'm driving too fast because he was slick with blood you know there was just like blood everywhere and like my gloves were sliding all over his arm and it was just not working out so well for me oh yeah. here's excuses Oh, sounds like uh, sounds like the shooting yes. scene in uh, in Bringing Out the Dead. <laughs> he's yeah. there. He's got the crazy guy holding his hand, and he's like, "No, yeah. hold his hand." Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, but... We have those. Julie, I, I laugh because I've been there. I I know yeah. exactly what you mean, and I've yep. I I know that I've I've had two in my career that I can think of. They were perfect. They were perfectly taped. They were pretty. They were dressed. They had fluids running. And I've ripped, I ripped one out, taken out of the ambulance because oh, no. it, 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 it caught on my shears and my pants. And then I ripped another one out, moving them over from the other bed. Oh, then man. literally I was like, yeah, and you've got a, you did have a 20 in his oh, left my hand. God. Yeah, yep. that's such a, Peter's like shaking his head because I feel like he. Tell me your story. When I first came back, I will. What, what day was this? I think when this I first, first came day. back from, child care leave I'd been out for a long time I had my son and I took like almost four years off like I so when I came back I had to go through like a BLS refresher but they didn't put me through an ALS refresher and I was kind of bummed by it I was like um you know am I gonna do that and they were like no you're fine so I felt like I didn't remember how to be a paramedic again Mm -hmm. and we ended up working together, Peter and I, and I just had like a rough night. I wasn't getting all my IVs. I think I got one and I didn't tampon on it well, and there was like blood everywhere. And so then finally he got a hard stick for me because I couldn't get it and he got it. And I went to step over the line okay. to do something on the other side of the patient and my mm-hmm. boot caught on it and just pulled it out of the guy's arm. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And I didn't know. Well, it was a Hail Mary. It was a Hail Mary IV on the <laughs> toughest IV that you could think of. I was so mad. And I ripped it out with my boot. Like, I was like, this yeah, guy hates like, me. I bet this guy hates me. 
Uh, I, I was like, we have like, a, C, we like, have like a CHF patient. Even a paramedic. Yo, set up the CPAP. And she's like, I, I don't know how to set up the CPAP. I'm like, I never did. We didn't have CPAP before my kid was born. So they never showed yeah. me how to do CPAP. So I was like, I didn't learn that. And when I asked in the academy, they were like, yeah, your partner will know how. I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so you knew how, <laughs> thankfully. Yeah. We only got CPAP like I know four, now. maybe four years ago. So we didn't have CPAP. So it was like yeah. a tight diamond breather and a nasal cannula as, as high as you could go. And that was your CPAP. So, or you're bagging them. So we didn't, a, we don't have anything fancy. A lot fancy, more people got so. tubes back then. And yeah. Yeah. But, I love, know, I mean, it's, it's, love CPAP. Oh my God. It's like, oh, it's awesome. It's the best yeah. thing in the world. It is absolutely the best thing in the world. I mean, it really is so effective. And like, I think that's what's funny because, you know, I didn't have it. I knew that the private ambulances had it. And then I went and I had my kid. And when I came back, it was like I was going through my refresher and I saw one like laying out on a table and I was like, what is this? And like one of the other paramedics in the class was like, that's CPAP. I was like, oh, I haven't used this yet. And I asked the instructor and they're like, yeah, your partner will know. And so one of the paramedics in the class was like, oh, I'll kind of show you, but we didn't have like an oxygen tank. Like she just kind of showed me like how you might put it on the face. And I was like, cool, thank you. And I appreciated it, but I'm like, you know, I don't know how to actually use this thing, but like, in my opinion, now that we have it, I'm like, our patients do so much better than they did a couple of years ago where people were really like going down the tubes fast. And I had like people going into arrest or getting tubed like much different than today where it's like, you know, you put this on and for the most part, it's like life-saving. I mean, it like literally makes mm -hmm. the difference between like life and death for these people, you know? Yeah. So, thank God. <laughs> I, I love it. That's we, great. um, We've got it. We've got kind of kind of clunky ones now, but um, the we've got a new deputy chief, and he's been streamlining a lot of things. I think I've about got him convinced to go to disposables. Um, have you guys ever used a flow save? Um, I just sent you a picture of the one we have. So, so the, yeah, the flow safe is super nice. It's um, it's got a real nice mesh net. The whole the whole circuit. Yes, I think that's the one we have. That, that is the one we have. And yeah. You got it. You can I'm get, not. um, you got the picture. So are you going to, you got to get the one with the nebulizer on it already. It's a little bit more, but mm -hmm. it's worth it. So, yeah. Well, what yeah, do you that, guys have you, now? What I love about the flow safe is being able to just throw a, throw the nebulizer in that in a hurry. Yes. Yeah. So even, even if you buy it without, it's still, you can still oh, fit the T. Can't see it. That one. Yeah, that's what we have. The yeah. Yeah. yeah, I love the floor. Yeah. Thing. Greatest thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but you can throw like the but nebulizer what? in there, and then you could put like an inline end title. It's it's awesome. So. Well, what do you guys have now, Jim? Like, are you not using that? Um, I can't. I I can't even remember what it's called because it's this. It it sits in like a big, like clunky tackle box thing, and the regulator or flow meter whatever you want to call it it's this plastic plastic brick that plugs into the plugs into the wall with a quick release and then it runs oh, wow. the circuit up to the patient um and it goes and, yep right yeah it's, uh, nice to have that. it's hard yeah. set at uh at, at 7.5 which so I, I can't go up can't go down mm. and um 
I uh, can't uh, can't put my uh, nebulizer in the circuit. Yeah, uh. that, that's that's a leftover from forever ago. Uh, I consider myself very fortunate that I haven't had a real um, a real bad COPD or CHF patient at Pleasant Hill yet where CPAP would have been beneficial. I've had, I've had two that were past the CPAP point that I've had the tube, but yeah. Um, it, um, I, I love having CPAP using the flow safe has cut down the number of people that I've seen have to be emergently intubated by yeah. an insane amount. Yeah. Yeah. And those are always the people that do poorly on the on ventilators too. So it's yeah. I'm like you know your next. Have you tried year, to tape? You're probably gonna yeah, have. You're gonna get one now. <laughs> you, you know you just put it out there with the universe. So. <laughs> mm -hmm. Have you yeah. tried to tape around the T to make it take up the space? <clears throat> yeah. No, I, I've done tape, um, and just don't. Haven't, uh, haven't had a lot of success with it. I think I'd have more luck no. with duct tape than I do with the little girl. Well, if you put the tape, like, so, like, if you have, like, the pipe itself, if you mm -hmm. wrap that and make that thicker, and then that'll fit inside the Okay, thing. I got gotcha. you. Because when we, when we bag in a nebulizer into a tube patient, we have to wrap the end title to fit onto that, and we have to do, like, a whole finagly, because we don't have things to bag in treatment. Right. So. Yeah, so we, a, we found to make it fatter, and then it fits in there. So I'll have to try that tape thing the next time I'm on shift. We, um, I, I brought that point up to our chief, and he's like, those adapters are 78 cents. I just ordered a box of 200. Okay, yes, yes. <laughs> it's crazy, bro, like, you know. But when you have, like, you know, two ambulances, you know, and you only have to train, you know, eight guys how to do it, you know. Unfortunately, you know, you guys get the cooler stuff than we do, so – and it takes forever to change everything. Yeah, so, I, yep. I know what you mean, man. It's all it's all a money game. Yeah. So you worked for AMR. So after you, so we went off and we got on like an ambulance thing. All right. So you were in <laughs> North Dakota. Did you did you have like oil rig like accidents and stuff like that? Was that like an oil so, town over there? Um, yeah, up in Minot. That's when I was working for Community Ambulance. Um, I did some contract work for the base every now and then, and that was a super cherry gig because they were all super healthy. The only time that I really did anything was with was if it was a, a little kid in the clinic that would they couldn't figure it out or um, um, taking a you know a, a psych patient downtown. So it was uh, did mm. just about nothing. But I was working for okay. CATS, um, and we were the we were the largest ALS service in the northwest of the state, running two ALS trucks twenty four hours a day, and running two BLS trucks um, uh, during the day. Okay. And uh, when uh, the I've, I saw two oil rig accidents, and both of those were actually brought in by volunteer ambulance. So oh, wow. uh, most of the state of North Dakota is volunteer ambulances that cover all the rural okay. areas, and they'll they'll yeah. start you know hauling towards the towards Minot and uh, the the entire state is covered by state EMS radio so we can okay we can switch to state one or state two we were usually on state one and uh, my my call sign when I was on duty was usually community two but each truck okay. uh, in the state is given a unique um, identifier so my truck was 6386 so anytime I got on the um, on the state uh, state system after we got dispatched it'd be you know Minot Tower from 6386 and they'd say you know this is Minot Tower go ahead to be like we're 
traveling southbound on US, whatever, to provide mm -hmm. ALS intercept with Belva or uh, Botno, uh, and then whatever their whatever their six thousand number was. Mm. Yeah, and you know we'd make make contact with them on the side of the road. I would uh, um, I would jump out with uh, with my narcs and my uh, my first in bag. Go go down to their truck and jump in and see what's going on. I saw saw two. I saw a guy that fell off of the top of an oil derrick and landed in a pile of steel pipe. Oh. Um, and the only thing wrong with him was he was having just real bad back pain. He didn't get stabbed through with a pipe like in Final Destination. I was oh really disappointed. <laughs> um, uh, but wow. then the other, you know, he was just a real tough oil worker. He's like, you know, I it, I hurt, but I don't want to. I don't want to get narcotics because I know I'm going to get drug tested for this. I'm like, dude, it doesn't matter. Cause once I, I, I yeah. gave it, it doesn't matter what else you've got. They can't do it. Yeah. But he was yeah. like, Nope, I don't want to lose my job. Wow. wow. All right, man, I'll, I'll sit here and hold your hand. Oh, wow. Um, and then, uh, the other one, I guess really wasn't an oil, an oil Derek issue, but it was, um, a couple of roughnecks got into it and, uh, one of them whacked the guy in the chest with a pipe wrench. Yikes. <clears throat> yeah. That wound up being mm. not a whole lot of anything either, but. Yeah. That's why they call them roughnecks. They're angry. <laughs> very, very <laughs> angry people. They're angry people. But they make a lot of money. I don't know how they're that angry. They make a lot of money. A lot more than we do. So, so you left North Dakota and then you came back to your state. Yep. So I, uh, I was tired of living in uh, North Dakota. That was uh, that was actually when I'd hit my burnout point. Like, okay, scorched. I was ready to quit, walk away from EMS. That mm -hmm. was, I'd, I'd taken too many twelve-hour transfers with two hours left in my shift. Was tired of getting home at two, three o'clock in the morning when I should have gone home yeah. seven, eight hours earlier. And um, you know, I was just fed up with my interactions with the hospital and with management and. I was like, all right, I'm gonna find gonna find a way to get home and yeah. do, keep doing this just long enough to get out. Um, and it was actually kind of a funny story as a, a a friend of mine at the time recommended Warsaw to me. He's like, they're they're uh, they're always looking for people. You might give them a shot. And so I applied and I got a phone call from the administrator saying, Well, when's the next time you'll be down in Missouri? I was like, Well, as a matter of fact, sir, I've uh, I'm coming down on vacation. I'll be down there for about a week. He says, why don't you stop by here on your way home? So I then walked in, had an interview and, uh, didn't did the interview and did the drug test. And four days later, he's like, well, your background check cleared. Do you want to come work for me? I said, absolutely. That's nice. Get, get me where it's much warmer. Yeah. I bet. And, um, I bet. That's, uh, like advanced cold. Yeah. That's, and then, you know, I started running real sick folks and, you know, for lack of a better term, I felt more, I felt like I was being a paramedic and not a cab driver. And yeah. I fell in love with it again. Yeah. Sometimes that's all it takes. So, I mean, like, so if you were the management up there in, in North Dakota, like what would you do differently to like prevent you from getting burnout? You know what I mean? Like if you were the boss, like how would you fix people? You know, because it sounds like so, a common thing around the place, you know. Um, there, there was certainly an element of it that was um, uh, individual issue of me um, having 
the wrong attitude about a lot of things. You know, if I, knowing what I know now, um, if I could go back and do a couple of things differently, I would have. Um, but I think the biggest thing was at the time I didn't feel like I was appreciated. Um, at the mm -hmm. time I was a field supervisor and anytime that I would, you know, have to make a decision about something because I was Johnny on the spot, you know, the second I got back to the station, my decision would be immediately scrutinized and overturned. Um, mm -hmm. Got picked apart by a lot. I, I had been through critical care school at the time. So I knew a little bit more than the average, in my opinion, I knew a little bit more than that. Yeah. And um, I mean, I, I did some cowboy stuff on calls and it was up, always something I could justify to the medical director who was working in the ER at the time. So I could always go up to him and say, Hey, Dr. Olson, you know, what do you think about this? This is something I had to do. And he goes, that's awesome. I like it. But then I would, you know, go back to the station and just get like ripped apart by the, um, by the QA person. And like, actually she drug me out into the hallway one time and just screamed and cussed me out. And I said, you know what, I'm done. I've, I've complained about this, you know, time and time again. And, you know, there was, a, there was actually a time when there were enough of us that were fed up with her and us getting those late transfers across the state that were just killing us. And we said, yeah. all right, we're either all going to walk out together after a letter of demands or we're going to unionize. And, you know, we started talking to uh, the local firefighters union at the time because we had a really good working relationship with the fire department. Yeah. And, you know, nothing ever come up, came of it, but that rumor made its way all the way up to the top of the hospital. And at that point, um, vice presidents started making weekly rounds. And that, uh, that chafed a lot of us. Um, I mean, I, I don't want to, you know, crap on the place too hard because I learned a lot and I grew a lot as a yeah. provider. But, you know, the, I mean, it, it was good. It was good pay. The protocols were relatively progressive. I had... I definitely have a lot of good fun memories from there. And one of my best friends in the world um, still works up there, but you know, I think, uh, I think a lot of it comes from, you know, people that, you know, start out on the streets and work their way up and they forget about the street level view. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I mean, that's, that's a pretty the thing common is, issue. That's yeah. a common thing. Yeah. <clears throat> so the, the view from the top, you know, it changes, you know, when you get up to that level, you know, cause they, they see things at a different level than we do, but there's still something to remember, you know, where you came from, you know, and the struggle that, that you went through on the street, you know? So, and, and we eat each other alive for no reason. Yep. You know, like firefighters, they don't kill you for, yo, you did a bad stretch, you know, like they make funny or whatever, you know, if you miss that IV or you do something stupid, like you're able to like, like a fucking moron for the rest of your career. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and that's the worst thing is we, we kill each other and we Monday night quarterback everybody, you know, and you weren't there, you know, like you were in some situations, you know, nobody died, you know, so <laughs> like <laughs> speaking of Monday night, did you read that thing from, where's that Kansas, that Kansas thing with the doctor? Did you read that? Uh-uh. With the medical director and like, they basically left the guy to die. And oh like, yeah everybody no, got in I, trouble I except for the that. doctor that's insane i mm -mm. I, I don't want a monday night quarterback but that's pretty bad you know like i wasn't there that was exactly it like the way the article made it seem was like really egregious um yeah. but we weren't there and like maybe they yeah. thought they were doing something to help this guy i don't know but uh 
Yeah. It was I'd love like to talk they, to them to find out what of, really happened. It kind of gave right. him hospice yeah. almost instead of just like actually helping him survive or, you know, I don't know. Yeah, like, it's a very weird story. If you are not familiar with it, I don't know what you could look up. What would you Google if you didn't <laughs> know the story? It is. Um, yeah. Kansas City. I don't even know how anybody there thought that was a good idea. Pain management like, for a guy. He was suicidal, right? Was that the whole thing? Like he shot yeah. himself or something? Yeah, like shot himself in the name. But uh, we weren't there, oh, yeah. so who knows? You know, who knows? Right. And, you know, I'm yeah. sure there's extenuating circumstances to everything. And that was the hardest thing that, or one of the hardest things that I've had to learn is that I wasn't there. Yeah. You know, so I, I shouldn't be judging. I shouldn't be running my mouth, you know, because I mean, yeah. somebody else can Monday, Monday morning quarterback, whatever my calls are. And if they've got some, if they've got something that I might've overlooked, absolutely. Let's talk about it. I'd love to learn. What can I do better? Yeah. But yeah. You know, I learned uh, well, the hard lesson for me to learn was that, you know, I shouldn't be doing that because I am far from perfect. And, you know, make the, the day I think I'm perfect is the day I better be walking away. But yeah, I'm and not perfect. No, and it, it's funny because I feel like there's times we, we actually got uh, not like in trouble, trouble that we had a supervisor one time call our supervisor about a move that we made. We had a patient who was like had a head injury and he was intoxicated and there was like oh, the handcuff people. job. Yeah, there was like yeah. 20 people on scene just make it was too many cooks in the kitchen. And when we were finally able to get this guy aside, it was like the two of us in the back with an EMT and we we're like, listen. And he was cuffed at that point because like he really needed to get Yeah, we had to fight him. We had to fight him to get on get him in the truck. But once we were in the truck, he was calming down. He was and like his main complaint was that he was in a lot of pain from the handcuffs. So long story short. We removed the handcuffs, but we did it, not the cops. And like, I guess the EMS supervisor who was on scene saw that and thought that was egregious and basically called our supervisor like, what kind of cowboy shit is this? And, you know, we, then when we got back, he was like really annoyed because this is like our very good friend who is our supervisor, but he was just like, why the hell am I getting phone calls about this nonsense? what are you doing out there? You know? And we were like, it's like, why do you have a handcuff key? Yeah. Like, why do you have a handcuff key? I'm like, cause there's cops with no handcuff keys. Yes. And there are, that is definitely a thing. A lot of cops. Um, believe it. And if they, you know, and if you need to get that patient off the bed or you need to like do something for that patient and they're cuffed, but like we, we were in the situation, the two of us and this BLS, you know, this EMT that we're familiar with, the three of us felt confident that he wasn't going to like, destroy us or kill us you know the guy was like five foot two like he had a head injury you know mm-hmm. and honestly the minute he was uncuffed he was like thank you you know and we were able to be like mm-hmm. look sir like you're we gotta go to the hospital you got really hurt tonight you know and he understood it and we felt safe everybody felt safe it was fine right. but i get why the supervisor was just like oh, so fudge do these people think they are doing that like they're not cops what the hell are they doing and so it's like one of those kind of situations when you're in it, you do what feels right. Like mm-hmm. you go with your gut, you go with your protocols, you go with like what you've learned, what your experience tells you. But someone who's not on the scene or someone who's kind of coming in at the end of it might see it and be like, oh God, yeah. these guys are idiots. What are they doing? You know? And you're like, well, that's, you weren't there the whole time. It was not that, you know? So, yeah. I mean, you know, you got to have an open mind sometimes. That's the biggest. I just wish EMS we'd stop eating each other alive, you know. Yep. So, and you know, like, oh, you didn't, you know, you didn't put that on right, or you know, you didn't secure that tube the way we do. 
you know, yeah. and everybody's like, that's wrong, you know, so. Right. I don't know. That's, I think that's the biggest issue with EMS is that, you know, we just, we eat each other alive and then it's, it turns out to be like a fuck fest to get ahead, <laughs> to get that supervisor's position, you know. Right. And then you get there and, you know, and, and you turn into the biggest dick in the world and you forget <laughs> where you came from. Right. So. And then, you know, I think, I think we've all had, can think of a time or someone else has of getting going through clinicals or ride times or FTO time or whatever, and having an FTO or a preceptor that's just an absolute asshole. Yeah. That eating the young. And I, I can't remember the guy's name, but I remember I thought um, in, in paramedic school, I, I had a, uh, a preceptor that just literally stopped me and told me everything I was doing was wrong. And it's like, I mean, looking back, I realized that if I'd had more self-confidence I, and told them to shove it, I probably could have gotten some things done differently. But mm-hmm. that's where I feel very fortunate that, um, you know, where, where I'm at now, I'm uh, trusted to train um, newer EMTs, newer paramedics. And uh, at, uh, at AMR, even, I'm also a, a field training officer and I work with right. the new hires there. And I feel very fortunate to be able to do that and help try to change the training culture that so many of us see that where it's negative. And yeah. like, I, I want, I want it to be a learning experience for both of us because I don't know everything. You might know something I don't and vice versa. And by the same token, the better job I can do training you, the better job you're going to do taking care of me or my family or someone else that I know and mm-hmm. care about. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, cause you're paying it forward. You know, if you think about it, like the guy that you train now, the way you, you taught him is the way he's going to teach somebody else, mm-hmm. you know? So, and oh, it's, just, it's interesting. Well, it's so. funny because Peter is much more, um, how do you say, <laughs> like, Go ahead, just say it. He's less, <laughs> I'm a stickler for perfection. Yeah. He's and, not as you know, patient like, when, when I, as I am. No, I have and no so, patience. So sometimes he does get a little uh, abrasive if we have like a really critical patient, you know, like we maybe have a critical patient and if we have like BLS with us or whatever, he'll get a little uh, curt with them. And Mm -hmm. so after the call, he'll be like, what the hell was that? And I always have to be like, okay, like we should talk to them, but like, let's to, let's, calm it down you know like I was a teacher like I taught little kids so like I'm always like look I know for me I don't I don't do all with that like I have you know I have like my own issues like I had ADHD undiagnosed for like my whole young life and so I felt like I was always like trying to swim and drowning and then like people would be like what is this person an idiot and like I was just like I just don't know how to do it I have to ask you 20 times I'm sorry you know I didn't get I didn't catch it that first time so like I'm much more patient with people and I accept that like maybe not everyone has the same level of understanding or experience so I think it's good but there's certain things the things that bother me is like the, the the nuances of your job that you should know how to do you know like you should know how to splint somebody you should know how to work a scoop or a stretcher or, or how to bag somebody or how to put a nasal airway in. You know, the, the little things that they teach you. Well, I'm expecting you to be good at it, but, you know, have a general you grasp should. on things. But listen, so. if you are a brand new EMT, you should know how to bag someone, right? But maybe you've never bagged an actual human being. Maybe this is your first time or your second, you know, so you're not doing it perfectly. Like we had 
uh, one EMT on a job with us and he was like <laughs> giving this guy a breath like every one second. And I was like, okay, hang on. Like that poor guy that was like, had he, this guy had like a pressure wound from his hip to his like ankle. It was gross. Um, he was like the cat litter guy. Oh God. Yeah. His, no, I heard you guys talking about that. Yeah. So, uh, so oh, that sounds so gross. It was super gross. Was... And like the whole call was terrifying. It felt like you were in like Silence of the Lambs or some weird yeah, shit. It and, was... like, you know, we're trying to take this guy to the hospital and it was like overwhelming for me. I've been on the job for quite a long time and I was like, oh my God. I was like so overwhelmed that when we rolled him over, I like, started crying in the hospital. But, um, you know, I, and it was funny because it wasn't just me. It was like me and the nurses. We were like mm. tearing up because it was like this guy was mm. so badly messed up but yeah. the EMT was like just like <laughs> you know like freaking out and like bagging him like crazy and I was like hey like you know count like count in your head like you know one breath every five six seconds like slow down you know and he did for a while and then like he did again like it was like you could see he was like getting more anxious and I was like okay cool like not a problem but like you know slow it down again like let's slow it down like because I feel like that was a terrible call that was a terrible call for me and I'm like this guy has six months so that was probably like the most terrible call that he's ever seen. So, you know, if you're just yelling at people or you're expecting them to know something right off the bat, like. I don't yell, Julianne. You're making people sound, you make me sound like I yell at people. No, you don't. He doesn't yell at people, but he's a little, <laughs> a little curt in a way. I can that, give you a look. I can give you a look. You know, it took yeah. many years to master my look. So. <laughs> but, you know, I think like when you're trying to, you know, when you're trying to make good EMTs, like you have to have patience and like, you know, you have to, not everybody comes from the same place, you know, and, and not everybody's had the same type of jobs, you know? Right. So, so which AMR do you work for and where? So um, can you talk about AMR? Cause I know it's like, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll talk about AMR. It doesn't matter to me. Right. They're, they're my part. They're my beer money job. <laughs> okay. All right. No, so um, I, I worked at Warsaw for for a few years, and uh, before I started going back to school, um, and uh, down in Missouri State, down in Springfield, before I met um, my uh, my ex fiance, before we met, and uh, we uh, we wound up moving to Kansas City after we'd been together for a little while because she had graduated from college and wanted to live with her sister, and I wanted to. You know, I, I didn't want her to be responsible for all of our bills. You know, I was like, you know, I'm a paramedic, you know, everybody around here needs medics. And at the time I was like, man, I really don't want to work for AMR, but I'll go work for AMR if I have to for a little while. And yeah, so I wound up working for um, AMR Johnson County. So they run Johnson County, Kansas, and it's um, that they, they do, uh, it's, it's pretty much all IFT. Um, so all transfers okay. and then the bad labs or the sixth subject that Johnson County Medic doesn't want to run out of a nursing home or another facility that AMR might have a contract with. Okay. Um, and actually quite a set, a lot of calls get um, like sent to us and like coded as bad labs or just general sickness. And then we get mm -hmm. there and it's a stroke. <laughs> Oh um, God! Yeah. <laughs> I love IFT like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, that's that's when we were like the only truck just getting back into the county, and then we have a thirty-five minute drive to get to this nursing home, going non-emergency to, and we walk in. We're like, "Hey, what's going on?" Yeah, he's just kind of feeling weak today. 
<laughs> hey, George, let's uh, let's get up to OPR real quick, buddy. Gosh. I mean, I'm asking you this: Is the paperwork ever ready? <laughs> so apparently, this is all over the world. So, is your paperwork ever ready? Um, for for the most part, yes. Um, what? That I very rarely find myself waiting for uh, paperwork at the at the hospital. Nursing homes. What are different. about the nursing homes? Okay. What's well, this say nursing homes? Because apparently, nursing homes across the world are the same thing everywhere. Yep. Yeah. Where you're so, like, you did call like 30 minutes earlier. Like, why wouldn't you have it ready? Right. You're like ready to get this critically ill patient out. And you're like, yeah, mm -hmm. face sheet or like anything with this guy's name and birthday on it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, hold on. Let's print that out. Like, what? Yeah. Our, um, so we use, uh, we use image trend. Uh, at the fire station, we use image trend. So if we have literally any, we can look somebody up by their first name. Oh, wow. Yeah, like what? their first first name. I mean, obviously, the more information we have, the better, but we can look people yeah. up by their address, um, which is really great because sometimes going to a frequent flyer whose name I've forgotten and I feel bad about that, I'll type in their address yeah. and get searched and be like, oh, I know who this is. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I know everything about them before I get there. I see their face, but I've forgotten their name. Wow. Um, <clears throat> I usually only do those for the, like, two or three real sweet old ladies that live in the senior housing that just need a little help. Um, yeah. yeah. The, those ones are my favorites. Um, they are. But, uh, they're also nice. I worked for, worked, worked for AMR full time there for about six months, uh, worked on the night shift and I was actually the overnight supervisor. I was a Lieutenant. Um, okay. and, uh, they, uh, it was sold to me originally that basically all they did was the critical care ventilator stuff that, med act and kcfd didn't want to run and i ran maybe since i've been there i've been there i've obviously been part-time the last eight months but since i've been there i've run like maybe 10 vent calls and of those 10 i would say like three were like real critical care with like mm -hmm. lots of drips running that were borderline not <laughs> stable for transport yeah. and I mean, if I, if I was running more of those, if I was running like one or two of those a shift, I probably would have stayed yeah. because that's the kind of thing I like, I like doing. I like reading their chart and, you know, sinking my teeth into the science, but, yeah. um, but I like fighting fire a lot more than I like, uh, taking, taking, uh, taking grandma who's got new onset AFib mm -hmm. from the freestanding ER to the main hospital for a cardiology follow-up. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I don't miss that. But that's, I'm, I'm happy to hear that you like that because, you know, yeah. there, I feel so, like I mean, it's, it's, it's like a mixed bag. There's like people who like myself are really not in love with that, you know, like I find that like a little terrifying. And then there, I think there's medics who like really enjoy that. And I think we need those medics to do those kind of jobs because like those are like really critical jobs, you know, like someone who's post arrest or whatever. And like, you know, it's got like a bunch of trips running, like that needs someone who's like really into it to like take that person 45 mm -hmm. minutes to another hospital or something. You know? well, and those are, I really, really enjoy those. I've, I've had a couple of uh, post-arrest ones or somebody that got intubated for a procedure at an outlying hospital and then they couldn't get them off the vent. So they needed to send them to the bigger oh, ICU. Man. And I really enjoyed those, you know, cause looking at their, looking at their ABGs, seeing what their labs have been and 
you know, cause I can get the initial vent settings to get the patient comfortable on, on my transport ventilator. But then after that, yeah. I'll look at their labs and be like, well, let's just play with this a little bit and see what we can come up with. Huh. And, you know, I'll, I'll do you have it. any quick tricks to, uh, to set up a vent? If like, you've never, so like a certain number of settings that you always go for, like your go-tos. So, um, every, every ventilator is different. So without knowing what vent you're running, I couldn't really give you a tip because honestly it might be one I've never run. Um, okay. and I, I never put, if it's a patient that I'm intubating, I never put them on the vent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, okay. I, I bag them because if I'm having to intubate them, I've got so much other crap going on that I don't have time to sit there, turn the damn thing on, get the yeah. circuit out, get yeah. the circuit out the right way, and then play with my vent settings because I, I'll be honest, I'm not great calculating ideal body weight and I don't want to pop somebody's lung. But okay. it's real easy for me to just squeeze, oh, chest rise, we're good. Yeah. yeah. And then I can hand hmm. that off, be like, there you go, Joe, you got this. Yeah. I'm going to go do other stuff. Hmm. Uh, that's so like in 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 europe like the netherlands and germany they all have vents on their trucks mm-hmm. like as soon as you get them in the truck like they get a vent and stuff like they they don't really bag people you know like their bags they like, get set up on like a demand valve and stuff so they don't waste oxygen like we do right on cardiac arrest so like we're like we're talking to our friend a few of our friends and they're like what you bag people all the way into the hospital like yeah we do. So we're not bagging them for yeah. an hour either. I mean, like, yeah, you know, right. thankfully we're usually getting them. Right. So, quickly. I mean, the exception of my, to my vent rule was when I worked in Warsaw and I had such long transport times then I would put them on the vent because that's yeah. when I was by myself. And if I could just have the vent going and then having the, having the Lucas device doing its thing. Man. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy Lucas. that you'd have like a, a long ride and you'd be like, doing all that you know in the back yep um well wow. when, it, when i worked at warsaw i didn't transport unless i had a pulse but um you know then once then once i had a pulse i would try to put them on a helicopter or if i couldn't get a helicopter then i'd be the closest critical access and that was usually bothwell up in sedalia because driving up okay. uh driving up 65 was a lot better than trying to take seven out to clinton mm-hmm. yeah helicopters we just had a helicopter job where I live over here. It was well interesting. So oh, yeah? they were on scene. Yeah, they were. The helicopter was on the ground for like thirty minutes before it finally took off. So mm. there's some other stuff they had to do before they left. But yeah, we don't get the city like. Yeah, I think they had. A, I think they tube the guy like before they left or whatever. So yeah, I'll, I'll tell you what he did when we're not recording because I get in trouble <laughs> for that one. <laughs> but yeah. So yeah, we never get helicopters and stuff. Yeah, not in New York City, you know. Yeah, I mean, when I worked so. upstate, like, they would get a helicopter. and uh, But even that was, like, not – we still had trauma centers, like, that were kind of within a good maybe 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Sure. I, I think the furthest one – we had a guy who I think we took for 45 minutes, and he was, like, a bariatric guy. So that was, like, a – I was BLS at the time, and my poor medic partner – you know, like this guy was like 650 pounds and he finally got an IV in the foot. And like, uh, I, I think we bagged him the whole way. And like, um, then the IV came out cause it took like 10 people to unload him out of the truck. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just like one of those awful jobs, mm-hmm. but, um, that was like probably the longest. It was like 45 minutes. And, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, we had like a bariatric nursing home nearby. I don't, I don't know if that's like a thing anymore, but, it was yeah, it is. back then. It is. 
Yeah. Do you, so other than, you know, working at Pleasant Hills, do you do anything else? What else do you do other than this? And work on ambulance and firemen kind of stuff. Uh, so, I mean, you know, I, I work Pleasant Hill full time and then I work for AMR for my beer money, but, uh, okay. don't, uh, don't have nearly as much free time, uh, as I was hoping for. I'm, um, going, I'm trying to finish my bachelor's in emergency management, um, uh, through okay. St. Louis university. So that eats up a lot of time, but when I do carve out some time for myself and by that, I mean, procrastinate on my schoolwork, <laughs> uh, okay. you know, I like, uh, like getting out, um, I like going on walks, hiking with my dog. Um, yeah. I know, uh, I know a few guys, there's a few guys that I like to hang out with. I like to go and um, smoke a cigar with the fellas every now and then uh, go to the, go to the range, go shooting. I was just going to ask you how many guns do you have? <laughs> <laughs> mm. Mm. Wow. He's got uh, a lot. Five, six. Okay. Five. All right. Jesus. Do you carry, do you could do concealed carry there too? Uh, yes, I do have, uh, I do have my concealed carry. See, this is, yeah. Cause we're in Detroit and our friend, we always tell this story. It like blows our mind. He picked this up and he had, he had his Glock like on a magnet on the kick on the knee board in his car. I'm like, yo, what's that? So like, you don't, <laughs> you don't so nobody, nobody, you know, it's New York and New Jersey. Like nobody has guns mm -hmm. unless you're a cop or a bad guy. Yeah. That's it, you know, like I shot a 22 when I was like 20 years old, which is, Probably not a real thing. I know. I was like this guy that I dated, like, had it, and uh, he used to go hunting or whatever. So he had that, and he had a few other things. And, like, my brother has his gun license, but he lives in Long Island. He's in a suburb of New York, but I don't, yeah. I don't know if he has a gun even. But, um, I don't think he has. Yeah, New York is not really, that's not a thing, you know? Yeah. I always, the first time I ever saw a gun in person, I was, like, 20. So, you know. Yeah. I, so uh, where, where are you going after this? What are you doing after? So you're doing emergency management. Where are you going after this? Uh, I, I'm getting this bachelor's degree because I'd like to be the I'd like to be the chief of my department one day. But that's okay. That that's a ways off in the future. That's cool though. Yeah. Very awesome. Is it growing where you are? Are you guys Are you guys going to expand? Like putting another station in more units? Yep, we're. Um, with our with our tax uh, tax levy increase, uh, we are uh, with and keeping our uh, station at full staff um, for the next foreseeable future. There's uh, been a significant amount of discussion about building a second station in our response area, and okay. then that would be you know uh, nine to ten more full timers, and then however many more part timers would be working there too, and that'd be the need for another company officer, and then the creation of a battalion chief position. Oh, okay. Wow. That'd be uh. How many? So, what's a part timer do there? How many hours, you know, do you get a part timer? So it all depends on your own availability. Um, I guess. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, I, I guess our part time staff are more like PRN or like okay. a, like a per diem kind of deal. Like yeah. a per diem. Yeah. yeah, like a per diem. So you know, it's you know, we get the 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 blank schedule that you know you guys our our deputy chief chief Lopez he handles all of our um, scheduling. So, you know, our, our full-timers, our schedule's all mapped out. You know, we, we can look at our fire shift, uh, like just a third, excuse me, a third-party app and know when we're going to be working unless we put in for vacation okay. or trades. But uh, right. our, uh, our part-timers or per, per diem, whatever you want to call them, they will submit their availability to Chief Lopez, and then he will <clears throat> – 
give, he will staff hours. Um, he, he tries to keep it as fair as he can with everybody that gives availability. Yeah. It's also going to be staffing on our needs, you know, to, do we need a medic this day or, you know, okay. what have you, because if we, if we've got a medic, if we've got an open medic spot, you know, he's going to award that to a medic over a firefighter. Okay. But they get paid good. You guys, they get paid all right. Um, make out there. I guess yes and no. Um, okay. I, I've been paid worse. Um, okay. But um, you know we're we are we're one of the lower paid districts in the area. Yeah. But we are. But you guys are still pretty new though, right? So. so uh, about thirteen years old because I think the district was paid and went professional in two thousand and eight. Uh, okay so i mean it's still pretty new so you know yeah Yeah. but we're you know we're our uh our union contract is up for negotiation next year and we're all um hopeful that our pay will go up as well but you know we we get a lot of benefits too that make up for it like the the district covers 100 percent of my my health dental and vision oh that's Um, awesome that's cool and we've got the We've got the loggers pension. Um, it's not contributory. I don't have to pay anything into it. And 20, 30 years when I'm ready to retire and go live on a beach, I'll have that. Yeah. That's cool. And they also pay for uh, 50% of uh, um, dependents insurance as well. That's pretty good. Okay. So we get, wow. we get a lot of good, um, good stuff from that. And uh, the, the union covers our, our long-term disability. So the, the only thing I'm, the only thing I'm paying into for a benefit is I'm paying in extra for short term, but okay. outside of that, they, and they take really good care of us. You know, we've got, yeah. we've got a nice station, we've got nice trucks. Um, our command staff are very easy to approach and have a conversation with, you know, we, we, we play ping pong with the chief on a daily basis. It's oh, you know, that's cool. Yeah. That's nice though. Like when you know everybody, you know what I mean? So like, you know, right. You know, you know everybody's strengths and weaknesses. You know, so and you know how to mess with everybody. Right. So. That's the great part about being on a on a uh, smaller department is when you know everybody that's there, and you know uh, what everybody's strengths and weaknesses are. Like you're saying, you know exactly what you can expect out of everybody, yeah. and it's a lot easier to game plan at, at the start of the day too. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Definitely is. Oh man. Um, are your part timers are they in the union, or no? Uh, no. Um, they're not, uh, some, some of them are in a chapter of the IAFF, but, okay. uh, it would be through their full time. Uh, and there's a, there's a couple, so our, our, our chapter local 3133, um, is technically, uh, central Jackson and they, okay. they, they represent, uh, several other districts. So we're, okay. we're folded in with them. So a lot of our part, so a lot of our part-time staff are 31, 33 members, but they're affiliated through a different firehouse. Okay. They don't consider that like scabbing or anything like that. Mm-mm. No. Okay. No, Cause they're... I worked in, um, I worked in, we'll say another Eastern state and it was a career. It was a combination shop. And then at night, they would have guys who were career staff in another department coming to staff the volunteer engines. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was a little interesting. And then, you know, I'm from Jersey and it's a big union thing. So, you know, like you don't go in somebody else's union shop and take, you know, jobs away from your brothers. So yeah, it was interesting. No, 
that we haven't had any any issues or fights with um, unions in that regard. The only time that scabbing tends to kind of be an issue is when, you know, some of us try to pick up work, you know, laying brick or, or throwing timbers around. Then the, then the carpenters okay. and stonemasons get a little upset with us. But. Huh. Hmm. That's interesting. Wow. Because we're only allowed to work in, um, was it within the borough? So if we're, if we're in the borough, like we can't work for another another competing service yeah, like within I, the borough. I worked um, at a transport company, but they also had 911 in Brooklyn. And because I worked 911 in Brooklyn originally, I couldn't, they wanted me to be on their 911 ambulance. And I kind of would have preferred it but I couldn't work 911 in the same area, you know? So I had to do their IFT, which I was like, not really that in love with, you know? But, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Do you have any questions for us? Cause we always ask a lot of questions. <laughs> do you got any questions for us? So, you know, you're talking about having these really short scene times. How do you do those scene times when you guys are stair chairing people down like four and five flights of stairs? We just—I um, don't want to say we're quick, but we are yeah, kind of quick. Like we yeah. had um, we had a lady who had a seizure a couple of weeks ago, and she had several seizures. So like she was very AMS and everything else. And oh, that one. Her yeah, daughter, yeah. yeah, her daughter called for her, and the firefighters were there, and they weren't super helpful. I mean, it was like two in the morning, three in the morning. I think they were just like tired. They just you know got woken up or whatever. And so they carried our bags and we carried her down from a fifth story walk up. But I think we, I mean, we carried her down in like a minute, you know, and it was not ideal. Yeah. Like she ended up cracking my nail in half, like, Dude, like with her foot. Funny it, about I am because yeah. it was like, it snapped my nail. Like she kicked and my foot got smashed between her foot or my yeah. hand got smashed between the wall and her foot. And like, it just the thing is, nail, all right, so, so <laughs> anyway. I, I, I'll give you the truth about our fire guys. So we have oh, some no. companies that are really good, right? And they will help us. And then we have other companies that don't want to be bothered doing any kind of EMS. And that's super sad. You know, well, like, actually, as soon as we strange, hit the on-scene button, like they, they take leave. Off. But these they don't even guys, have to get out of the truck. They were a company so. that were actually used to having really, like, helpful folks uh, yeah. on our jobs. So. Like, they're usually a really great engine company. I don't know what the deal was that night. It was like not, there were a few guys on there that I didn't know. Maybe they were like from a different engine and they were just like covering, but like we are quick. So, um, I mean, we, yeah, we don't screw around in people's houses. Cause like a lot of them is like, if we don't have to put the IV in the house, you know, we'll throw you on oxygen and we'll get you outside. Right. So, you know, we'll throw a nebulizer on you. You know, we'd rather just get to the truck because, you know, there's a lot of houses where there's roaches and shit. And yeah, well this house, in, you know, in roaches a walk into your, into your bags and stuff and that's not yeah like well they'll, that's they'll no have fun. like a I'm very like, bad infestation yeah. and like it also the house smelled like cat pee and like yeah. you know it's just it's like one of those things where i'm like i don't really love being in here plus it was kind of weird because like the woman was sharing a bedroom with like three or four kids and it was just it was a lot and i didn't want to be in the house it's like one of those things where it's like let's just get out of here you know like we just put her in the chair and and like drag her out and i mean she wasn't that heavy either like it's a little harder when the patient's like 250 pounds but this woman was like maybe 140 pounds so like we can just pick her up and get her out of there um yeah. and like sometimes we'll have a, a home that's so 
cluttered that, you know, Pete and I will hand carry the patient out to the hallway and then just put her on a chair and get them out because it's like to move all the stuff would take another 20 minutes or whatever to like get out of there. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, we, we don't stick around on scene that long. Yeah. Because there's people who they call it, they call it time management. So it's like 10 minutes to the job and then you know, you're like on scene for like 20 minutes, maybe when an extended, so you might be doing 20, 30 minutes. And then it's like 15 to the hospital and then 30 or 40 at the hospital till you're available. So, you know, you kill like an hour and a half, two hours. I'm like, but we don't call. really do that. Our calls, <laughs> I, I've gotten more used to it, but there have been times I have to tell Peter after like our fourth call where I'm still like, I still have four patient care reports that I haven't like finished up. <laughs> I'm like, all right, enough. Like we're not, you know, not available yet. Like let's chill yeah. out and, mm -hmm. and he'll be like, all right, I'll write one for you. Because it's like, we yeah. get downstairs and like the longest part of our, our time is in the hospital. And so as yeah. soon as I get back to the truck, he's like, you ready? I'm like, no, not ready. Not ready. Like I've yeah. been standing in there for, you know, 40 minutes, but now I have to write all my stuff, you know? Yeah. So. yeah Cause like, we're always listening to the radio. So it's like, we're listening like, to the police radio and then the, the borough radio, so like if something good comes in, like we're ready. We get our signature and like we're leaving and stuff. Yeah, so do people don't even know what hear, happened. So are you hearing like what's going on in your area? Like, um, I mean, you know, if you're on a job, can you hear another call or like for a crew that's calling for help? Like, can you hear that over your radio? Yeah, are you guys like on the same, like a countywide radio kind of thing? Uh, yes and no. Um, Okay. So we, we've got our own frequency um, on, uh, on our, our portables and our, uh, and our truck radio. We work on an 800 frequency set. That's all truncated. Okay. And we, we can listen to everybody else um, if we go to their channel or uh, if we go on scan. And then if we, if we switch to one of our tactical channels, like, uh, like if we've got a major incident, we're pulling in mutual aid, you know, we'll switch to Northeast one and then we can talk okay. to everybody else that way. And dispatch likes to uh, people that don't have Northeast one, they like to patch them to us. So like, like Northeast one is kind of our general use. Um, uh, outside of training, it's like our general, we don't know what channel we should be on. So we'll just go to Northeast one, have them patch everybody. Okay. To Northeast one. So we'll get, okay. that's how we'll talk to the helicopter. That's how, yeah. and what else? And I mean, we can, we can listen to, we can listen to Pleasant Hill police on our, on our radios, but uh, we don't have the, um, codes or authentication or whatever you want to call it to listen to county or highway patrol but okay like uh we don't have uh we don't have a hospital in our in my district so if i mean i mean if if the fellows are on scene you know doing something hairy and it sounds like they're going to need another bus i like i tell my partner hey let's turn and burn we'll make we'll make the cop before we take our next call but we need to get back and help out yeah um but you know it's uh it, it's 10 minutes from, from the hospital. It's 10 minutes before we're back in the district and it's another five before we're really in town. Oh, wow. Um, okay. but, so you, know, you don't I, I steal have... jobs from like other people's stuff. <laughs> no, we, uh, district? no, no, that pretty much the only, t the only time we'll jump someone else's call is if is if it's our, in our district and either okay. mutual aid got called for it, because we were all busy or okay. um if it's supposed okay. to go to the other ambulance that's on duty you know if i'm right on top yeah. of it, i'll jump it because i'm right there okay yeah yeah be kind of an asshole thing to just drive past <laughs> all the way yes. 
<laughs> You'd be people amazed, still, bro. People still you know, people do, do that. Shit. So like, yeah. So if you don't want like this, so if you don't want to go somewhere and you're going far, you might like drive by your corner where you know there's a bunch of intoxes. You're like, oh look, there's an intox. Show me flag for the intox. So you don't have to drive to the other side of the world like some people do that. Yeah. And stuff. So no, I, I've. Um... I've I've been I've been flagged down for intoxicated homeless people before, but that was that was when I was working in Minot or Springfield. That wasn't ever you know Pleasant Hills. I'm not big enough for that. Yeah, um, yeah. We've I've learned. I used to like make eye contact with people all the time, and over the years, like I finally learned to stop looking. Like when they wave, like I used to look, and now I'm like I can do like a good side eye look. Because mm-hmm. when you turn your head and you look at them, that constitute being flagged down. So if it's not something you want, you just keep going. No, about the only time about the only time I've done that is I've taken a frequent flyer to a further hospital so that I wouldn't have to see them the rest of the shift. But yeah, but could they get back? Get back quick. I know yeah. they somehow we tried to do that to our one guy. Yeah, like we took him really far, and he made it back that night. And somebody told us that he got back. I'm like, yo, what the hell? So we figured it would have been at least two days and uh, he got back super quick. I don't know how they do it, but sometimes the hospitals now give folks a cab or something if they're not from mm-hmm. like the area. So, I mean, it's, you know, they get back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Shawnee, uh, Shawnee mission medical center. They act, they, they uh, have like a partnership or something with Z trip where they'll pay for you to get a cab back to your home. There's literally just a button at the nurse's station that they just press. It says Z trip on it. And they press wow. it. Z-trip driver. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that's, that's what's nice. happening over here. Yeah. No, I don't think, I think they just give you a Metro card. So, cause that's all they want is a Metro. Well, card. I know like at certain city hospitals, but I'm like from long Island. Yeah. How would you get back? There's no, huh. You guys play any like shenanigans? Like uh, when I worked, when I worked in Jersey City, we used to do a thing where you would tape the stretcher to the floor, and you would make sure at the start of the shift, and you would see whoever pulled the stretcher and broke the tape, like you lost. So you lost the game for the night, and then you know you had to buy beer. So did you guys do anything like that? Any shenanigans? (laughs) Like, um, I think. it, well, I'm, I guess there's a couple. I mean, there's uh, if uh, hitting a curb three times in a shift, that's uh, that's owing your partner ice cream. Uh, oh man, I would be owing Peter ice cream quite often. <laughs> putting uh, uh, is buying donuts, and then cool. if, if if you get if you get called a hero by the media, that's a steak dinner for everybody that was on shift. Wow. Uh, ah. but, uh, the the only. I mean, we don't really do a whole lot of that uh, here because there, there's been times where that's been, you know, abused and it kind of created like a negative culture. So we've been getting away from that. Um, yeah. The, the biggest thing we do is, uh, so in our in our station, we've got like a silent night system. So the, you know, when the tones will go off, the lights will turn on. Oh. And okay. there, there are certain areas in the station where we just leave the lights off because then, you know, the silent night system will kick them on. And, you know, if we've got our headphones in or something, we'll know we're getting a call. But yeah. there'll be a time where you can just, if you want to mess with whoever's, you know, hanging out in the day room watching TV in the recliner, you just, you don't, so the rule is you're supposed to tell people before you turn the light on, you just flip, just the lights oh, come man. on, all the recliners go, everybody jumps up, they're like, 
Nope. Oh. Bye. <laughs> uh, that is funny. That's, that's a good way to goose somebody. You guys got to get yeah. everybody to start running. Yeah. <laughs> get them all running to the fire truck. Oh, man. So you got anything for new people? What's that? So what do you, so what would you tell a new person that's just, other than, you know, you bide your time on the ambulance, you know, as an EMT before you become a medic, but what else would you tell, you know, like a new person that's just starting out and stuff? I would tell them the same thing that I wish I had been told at the time. And that is, it takes time. You know, we're not, um, you know, we're, we're not super, we're not superheroes just because, you know, we passed the test and got our license yeah. and our gold patch and that nobody's going to expect you to be perfect. And every time I have a new trainee, I have, I sit them down and I have the conversation and that's that, you know, you're not going to be perfect. I don't expect you to be perfect. What I do expect is the baseline, you know, the minimum competency. And I'm okay with a lot of mediocrity because at the end yeah. of the day that ambulance and the two people that are on it has one job and that is the safe delivery of a patient from the point of contact to definitive care and if yep. you can accomplish that and your patient's still breathing still has a pulse you've done your job everything else that we can yeah. do on the road is all bonus and that yep. that was a hard lesson that i had to learn in my career and that's one the little piece of advice that i try to pass along to everybody you know, especially the, the newer medics that are scared to do stuff. And, you know, I've, I've, I've been afraid to try new procedures, especially when I was younger. But, you know, at the end of the day, we need to get them from point A to point B and keep them comfortable, keep them stable on the way. That's why yeah. EMTs and paramedics became a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I feel like that's actually a good way of putting it because it sort of takes some of the pressure off. You know, like when you're new, if you're working with someone, like they're kind of like releasing you from that. Like, I don't know, like I expect you to, like everybody as an adult, you don't want to embarrass yourself in front of other adults, you know? And so you kind of assume everybody wants you to be perfect. And then like taking that pressure off is nice because then you can just kind of like be learning and as you go. I think right. And you know, that it gets expectations out of the way early. And yeah. from there, yeah. you have a conversation. What do you, what do you need from me as your teacher, your preceptor, or, you know, your writer, what do you need from me to help you learn? And, yeah, yeah. and I, I take the approach that this is all you, you're not getting chucked into the deep end. You still got your floaty wings on. I'm not going to let you drown. I'm not going to let you fail. I'm only going to yeah. step in if things are truly going sideways, but yeah, you know, to be patient, um, be trusting and honestly find a mentor too. That'd be another real big piece of advice if you can what do you think about people who say i know all the time <laughs> i strongly dislike <laughs> i i i ride with a guy from time to time um who says yeah i know or yeah i got it quite a bit and um he is the one, per the only person I've ever worked with in my career that I've had a gut feeling so strong that I went and told both my captain and my chief that this is going to be the guy who gets me killed. Oh my God. Knock on wood, man. Mm -hmm. I hope you don't have to work with him again, Jim, because that's like a scary thing <laughs> to think. Well, and, yeah. you know, there's lots of us have tried to help him. Um, and unfortunately now we're in the uh, trust the process stage of he's either going to get it or he's not. 
but that's no, I, that's my I, biggest yeah that's one of my biggest pet peeves is you know if i'm telling you it's because i didn't know you know and i'm not trying to tell you, you know to show you like i know all kinds of stuff but you know right i just that's like my biggest thing like you know i didn't know i still don't know so right yeah. but those those are the people that don't have humility you know they're the they, they're either too insecure to admit when they've made a mistake or they are you know the their hubris will be their downfall yeah that's a good word uh, i feel that like is. hubris he yeah. goes to college you can tell julian <laughs> that's some educated talk right there I, as, my, as my stepdad says i got college <laughs> but that's i mean i think that's important you know like I don't know, to, to recognize that, like, I, I mean, maybe because I always felt like a little bit insecure and I got to a point where I was like, I can just ask questions. I'll be like, I'm sorry. I know I asked this. And like, that's my whole thing is I'm always like, I'm sorry. Where is this again? Like, or where's this piece of equipment? Because yeah. I feel like I'd rather, I'd rather the person like be annoyed that I'm asking them for the fifth time than me just assuming I can do it and then like screw up and like possibly hurt somebody or, you know, wreck something or whatever. But yeah, I think there's a lot of folks who are either too insecure to even get to that point where they're like admitting that they don't know everything or worse, they, you know, they're too proud or they think they like, I don't know, they think they got it. And it's scary because I don't want that person coming to my mom's house or my dad's house. Or, right. You know, like I don't want that person like dealing with my family. Um, I'd rather, yeah, like I always tell people, I'm like, you know, if someone, like if you go to a, a, a parent who has a kid who's like real sick, you know, and maybe they're like calling for whatever the reason is, that's going to be like the best person who knows about this kid, you know, right. like don't, don't sit there and be like, oh no, I get it. Like, I get it. Yeah, I get it. Cause you don't get it. And like, there's plenty of things that like, you know, I, I mean, when I did IFT, like I did a lot of like pediatric jobs. And like, I go in there and I'm like constantly, you know, talking to parents about their kid that I have no idea what yeah. this is or what this cancer is or why the kid's on a vent or, you know, and like the parent's going to be a great resource and like to act like to, I don't know. I don't know if it's because people think like, if I just say, I know, I know, like the parent will feel like confident. Yeah. It's like, it's not correct. You know, like, but they're going to stump you on something, people, you know, like, you know? And then you're gonna work an asshole. Yeah, so like when you, act like, you can't you can't yeah. pretend that hard, you know. Like, mm -hmm. you know? right. So. Yeah. And you know, there's a certain level of you know the the confidence that you know you need to give off, but at the same token, you know you need to ask your questions because you're not going to provide good patient care without information. Exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah, you don't yeah. want to come across as like, you know, the parent or anyone should be afraid because you don't know what the hell you're doing. Right. But like to come in there and act like, you you know, you understand the situation. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's plenty of times where I'm like, kind of, you know, you're stumped. You're like, not really sure what the deal is. And you're like, I'm sorry, like, who are you to them? Like, what's going on here? Like, right. what kind of medical problems? Because you're not really sure. You got to ask yeah. questions, yeah. you know? Well, so, and then my, my favorite question to ask in that situation is, what can I do to help? Yeah, because those, those are those kids that, you know, they have those congenital deformities and they're eight or nine years old, but they've been on a ventilator their entire life. And they've got 20 meds yeah. that I've never heard of. And they've yeah. got such complex, you know, care and treatment plans. Okay. What can I do to help you? Where can yeah. I take you or her yeah. or yeah. whatever? Yeah. 
Yep. And the parents are the best, the best ones that yeah, know about this stuff. Exactly. You know? They're the resource because they're the sole caretaker for eight years. Yeah. You know, that's the person who's yeah. going to give you the most detailed information because they have, you know, love for this person. They, they have a lot of at stake. So they want to make sure their kid is treated correctly. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, so we've been going for like Jim. two hours. So thank you for coming on. So I know. We'll, yeah. Definitely get you back on again. So we're gonna do like a giant group chat with like a bunch of people from all over the place and stuff. So oh, that'd be awesome. You can ask I'd questions to, to everybody. I know. I yeah. feel like it'd be cool so. because everyone will get to interact. You know, where like yeah. I don't know, like we're all yeah. from. We just won't have too places. many New York people because we talk really fast and we talk all over everybody. So I know. That's one thing that we I'm sorry do. if we've interrupted. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, all right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, all right. Hold on. One second.